Hi, this is Dave Coulier, and you're listening to P.S. Tape Recorder. Okay, let's rewind. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian and now filmmaker Dave Landau. People just said it reminded them of when we were young. And what's nice is people who didn't grow up with us who came and saw the movie, it says it reminds them of when they were young, and that's what I wanted to do, to kind of have that nostalgia and remind you of the way that you and your friends used to talk. We'll hear more from Dave in just a bit. It's CSI Crime Song Investigation. We've got a particularly tough case today, and we'll get to that soon as well. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Speaker of the House John Boehner dished out a little payback this past week, kicking two House Republicans off the Influential Rules Committee and stopping a third from sponsoring a bill after they voted against his re-election for Speaker. Worse, those three can no longer sit at the cool congressman's lunch table in the House of Representatives cafeteria. Veteran TV news correspondent Steve Croft enjoyed a string of hotel hookups with a sexy New York lawyer, getting his kink on with the aid of Viagra and racy text messages, according to a new report from the National Enquirer, which hit newsstands this past Wednesday. The story was picked up by many media outlets, including Fox News, who could not confirm whether there was a loofah involved or whether Rush Limbaugh was Croft's source of poor Viagra. Franklin Park Mall in Toledo, Ohio became the latest shopping center to ban teenagers from its property this past Monday. Following a rash of restrictions on kids and malls due to incidents involving misbehaving teens in Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and Chicago retail complexes, the shopping facility announced a new policy prohibiting anyone under 17 without an accompanying adult after 4 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays. Banning kids from the mall, that's like banning elephants, tigers, and monkeys from the zoo. Officials opened a time capsule buried by Paul Revere and Sam Adams over 200 years ago containing several historic artifacts this past week. Among the stash removed from the 1795 time capsule, five folded newspapers, a Massachusetts Commonwealth seal, a title page from the Massachusetts Colony Records, and at least 24 coins, as well as a beer glass and a 45 RPM record of Indian Reservation, the lament of the Cherokee Reservation Indian. Because it was Paul Revere and Sam Adams that buried it, you see. Bill Cosby's iconic TV wife, Felicia Rashad, is now speaking out about the sex abuse allegations that have dogged him since the end of 2014. Rashad said, Forget these women. What you're seeing is the destruction of a legacy. And I think it's orchestrated. I don't know why or who's doing it, but someone is determined to keep Bill Cosby off of TV. Supporters of the accusers say they are just trying to keep Bill Cosby off of innocent women. And finally, California's high-speed rail project reached a milestone this past Tuesday as officials marked the start of work on the nation's first bullet train. Tea partiers in California are confused about whether or not to support it, though, because on the one hand, it's a huge government project, but on the other hand, it has bullet in the name. And that's been Fake News with me. Fangirl is here with us, and uh, we have another case on the books here uh, with uh, Bruno Mars and uh, Mark Ronson, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, see, what, what can I, I... I didn't come up with a good joke for this one here, but um, uh, let me I see I should note here. that oh. it is Dumbbit 182, so it's the most punk rock Dumbbit we're going to oh, do Oh, it is Dumbbit, because this is episode 182. So on the sheet I have here where I put my notes, it says Dumbbit, and I put Dumbbit 182 for the episode. Isn't that Dumbbit? All right, well, I'm going to whip off the sunglasses and say... Looks like Bruno and Mark aren't out of the jungle yet. 
right, so the uh, the big hit by uh, Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars is uh, Uptown Funk, and it's another song. It's just like Happy. It sounds like it should be a song you've heard before, but you can't quite. Oh my pin- God, that's so true. But this one, I literally I, thought it was an old song the first time they played it on Q102. Okay, well, you you may not be wrong because here <laughs> I'm gonna give you a little blast of uh, Uptown Funk first, and then the other song as a plaintiff, and a third song that is also plaintiff. So it's kind of a triple case here. And I give you as the plaintiff. That is uh, Morris Day and the Time from 1984 with Jungle Love. And uh, now we have a, a third plaintiff here. We're going to go back to the beginning of Uptown Funk and uh, take a listen to this first. And uh, entering the courtroom now, the godfather of soul. So what do you reckon, fangirl? I believe my exact words were, oh my god, the frack. <laughs> I know, right? So uh, I like, can't decide if it's this way because they're all copied from each other or if because it's just a genre of pop on its own to have songs that sound like this. Yeah, and it could be because they use kind of the same chord progression, but boy, they're awfully, awfully close. But um, So I was kind of goofing around at lunch the other day, and uh, I came up with this. So you get the idea there. <laughs> oh my God. So that mashup will be available on our SoundCloud page. Just go to uh, you'll we can link to it from pfradio.podbean.com or the line where it says uh, for a collection of dumb bits go to SoundCloud. Go right there; it'll be the top one. Or just look up uh, PF Wilson SoundCloud. Google that; that should come up. And uh, the other thing I want to discuss real quick was this whole thing, this uh, Kanye Paul McCartney tweet thing. Oh my God, it's so funny. I know. So for folks you probably know, Kanye and uh, released a song, Paul McCartney. He just plays keyboards on it though, which is weird. is isn't like a Say 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 with Michael Jackson from the 80s where he's like singing on it too. He just played keyboards and he happens to be on it. And of course people tweeted out, oh, the, who's this McCartney guy? Kanye going to make him famous. And Yeah, a lot of the ones is like, this is why I f around with Kanye because he's always bringing up new artists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we firmly believe that those people are trying to be funny, but a lot of people think that Kanye fans are that stupid. And uh, even though I don't have much time for Kanye, I don't and think I his fans are dumb. I have none whatsoever. <laughs> but I, his fans aren't dumb, and they listen to music, and they've been on the planet. So they, of course, they know who Paul McCartney is. So, and, but uh, I couldn't find the audio for this because um, BBC One, you can get all the audio from all the shows except for the official chart update. But on the official chart update this week, Mills was actually buying it. He was actually reading some of the tweets, and he wasn't saying, "Oh, these people are being funny." He actually believed these people believe that that they. Be true. Yeah, it, it's it's not. And you can tell the way they're worded. If you've spent en- enough time looking at social media, that they're jokingly worded. Like, 
I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I, I'm, I'm with you. So like anyway. Joe Klingo? Exactly. So I, I firmly believe that, that Kanye West fans who know Paul McCartney is, he was the guy, of course, that used to be in Wings. As Raconing tweeted, Paul McCartney quit the Beatles just to join Kanye's squad. There you go. All right, so as a treat, I'll let, I'm going to finish playing out the rest of the uh, Living in America Uptown Funk uh, Jungle Love uh, mashup, and then you can get the full version at, uh, on our SoundCloud page. Dave Landau is a comedian originally from Metro Detroit. He just completed work on a film that he co-wrote and co-produced with some buddies called The King, and they're getting into film festivals across the country even as we speak. And that hasn't stopped him, though, from touring and headlining comedy clubs all across the country just about every week of the year. Quick note, this interview was recorded back in December, which I thought was going to sound a little odd, but then I heard Greg James on BBC Radio 1 interviewing Ollie Murs just a little while ago, and that interview was recorded back in December as well, because as J- uh, Greg James explained it, nobody can be bothered in January to be on the radio. But uh, that wasn't the problem here, it's just the uh, Dave was around and we could talk to him and it was a great chat. So here's our chat with Dave Landau. Okay, joining us on BS Tape Recorder, it's Dave Lando. Dave, how you doing? Good, man. How about you? Good, man. Uh, we spoke over the summer for uh, City Pages up in Minneapolis, so we'll probably end up covering yeah. some similar ground uh, for the benefit of the podcast listener. Um, li- like, first of all, uh, you uh, produced a film over the sum- spring and summer. Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I, uh, I wrote and produced a movie called The King um, that right now we're kind of, uh, we just finished up. We did a small premiere, and then uh, we're sending it out to like the festival circuit. Oh, great! And uh, when did you wrap that up? Uh, we wrapped it up uh, late last summer, and then we started. Uh, uh, well, I guess late this summer. Uh, obviously, obviously, this year we uh, we finished it up late this summer, and then we did the premiere in September. And then, based off of crowd reaction, certain stuff, we sort of used it as like a test audience. So we finished it uh, officially about. A month ago. Oh, okay, so did you like do like I have test endings like you know Pretty in Pink uh, didn't have the original ending where uh, where uh, she goes off with uh, with uh, Blaine, she ends up with Ducky and the chicks didn't like that so they changed the ending. Did you guys have to do some changes like that or was it just a little bit of tweaking? Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about those. Uh, we basically just tweaked out some jokes and a couple of the things that I think we thought was was funny that was maybe a little bit too dark for the mainstream. Oh, okay. Um. But, yeah, not much. I mean, we just changed some stuff. We had to fix some audio. We had to go back and do that and just uh, little things here and there. Like, we shot in such a short amount of time that 
we didn't get it perfect, so we had to kind of go back and uh, redo a couple things. Yeah, I was going to say, as a touring stand-up comedian, it was uh, you were telling me it was difficult to kind of fit this uh, whole thing into your schedule, and you kind of had to cram a whole bunch of uh, filming into a very short amount of time. Yeah, we shot it in uh, 15 days. Which is crazy. Uh, initially. Yeah. And then basically the rest of it was sort of special effects and, and uh, various shots of, you know, the city and the car driving and stuff like that. But we shot it in 15 days initially with the entire cast. And now it's based on a true story. It's based on a true story, yeah. It's sort of, uh, it's definitely a amped up, you know, true story, true story on steroids. Uh, but... It's based on me as a kid, the first day I get my first car. I mean, names are changed, everything like that, and stuff's added, but it's loosely based on my childhood. Okay. And uh, you grew up in suburban Detroit, is that correct? Yes, I did. Yeah, I grew up in a city called Gross Point in uh, the right. suburbs of Detroit. Yes, which is uh, like kind of, it's north of downtown, right? Is it? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, um, I guess, yeah, north of the, I guess east, north, yeah, right, uh. And it's basically it's basically right on the border. It's one of the few towns that literally, when you look to your right, you're in Detroit. When you look to your left, you're in uh, Gross Point. Like it's, and I grew up sort of on that exact cusp of both the cities. Now uh, that town, of course, is famed in the movie Gross Point Blank with John Cusack. That is the same city. Yes, same city. And also yeah. a, uh, a a kind of a parody of nighttime dramas. I don't even recall the si- the show was called. Gross Point, and I don't know if it was actually supposed to take place in Gross Point, Michigan, but there aren't too many other places named Gross Point, so I think that's where it was supposed there, to take place. But they actually... There, yeah, there was one called, uh, it was Gross Point 48236, which was supposed to be oh. sort of like Beverly Hills 90210, except it, uh, it was about the cast of kids in L.A. who happened to be on that right. show. Exactly, yeah, and uh, I think they dropped yeah. the zip code in the final title. We have it on DVD. It's a great show. Um, yeah, I recommend people go back and watch that. By the way, but yeah, it was a show about yeah, it a show. Was, it was, yeah, it was <laughs> one of those good shows that I don't think anybody ever really gave a chance because it was on kind of I think it was on like the WB yes. or like one of those networks yeah, that yeah. didn't last very long. Yep. Um. It, yes, it was. Um. So, what, what was the one thing? I guess you know, had, had you had any kind of film experience before at all? Have you been in other people's, or was this kind of a thing you thought, well? I can DIY this. I'm a pretty clever guy. How did you get the impetus to, to make a film? Um, I actually started uh, in film, like, right out of high school. Uh, the two things I did was, one, I joined Second City Comedy Theater, and I also went to film school. Uh, so I actually went to Lansing Community College to study film, and by the time I had been two years in and I could go for a, um, a bachelor degree, I didn't really see the point because I was already doing pretty well to stand up so I I, I, uh, I kind of put it on the back burner so a few years later I guess a couple of years ago I decided I was living in Los Angeles and I uh, an old friend from high school and my friend from Second City decided just to write a movie and we wrote it and we shopped it around and people some studios liked it they didn't necessarily offer us what we wanted though so we decided let's just go back to Detroit and make it so we raised a little bit of money on Kickstarter, put in a lot of our own cash, and decided just to make it. Now, what, what do your buddies think of uh, of the, the being in the story? Do they recognize themselves, maybe, or did you kind of, like, glom people together so and mix personalities and stuff? 
I lumped a lot of people together, yeah. So it was it was sort of uh, people definitely recognize some of the people in the movie. Uh, one character whose uh, name is the Claw, who's loosely based on somebody uh, who we call the Claw. That one was fairly obvious. Um, but other than that, uh, people just said it reminded them of when we were young. And what's nice is people who didn't grow up with us who came and saw the movie. It says it reminds them of when they were young, and that's what I wanted to do. It's kind of have that nostalgia and remind you of the way that you and your friends used to talk. And um, Kevin Smith uh, was a director who said the first movie you make is kind of for you and your friends. And uh, yeah. it definitely feels that way. But Clerks also took off because I think people saw, you know, related to that in their own way too. And I think we all had kind of a similar childhood in, in some ways. We were able to parallel each other, I think. Uh, that's that's true. And, and particularly... Um, you know, suburban Detroit, suburban Cleveland, where I grew up, suburban Pittsburgh, where a lot of my buddies grew up, kind of that whole Midwest, near Midwest thing. Uh, you know, Freaks and Geeks kind of falls into that, too. There's kind of that shared heritage we kind of all have where, you know, things were uh, very similar city to city, but there were also some unique things uh, as well. You know, you know, Detroit, a little different from Cleveland, a little different from Pittsburgh. Uh, so, yeah, th- th- was it a period piece, or did you just... Uh, uh, place it today uh, based on the events that happened to you when you were a kid? Um, it is a period piece. It, uh, it's based in 1999, and uh, that's actually one year before I graduated, even though these kids are uh, graduates of high school. I graduated okay. high school in 2000. But uh, I said it in 1999 um, in, in Detroit suburbs, and, and that is, you know, it's interesting. You said, like, suburban Cleveland, places like that, suburban Chicago. Yeah, a lot of people from those areas definitely relate to it, too, not to get off track. But, yeah, yeah. I definitely made it uh, a late 90s piece because I think there's just something really interesting about the late 90s because te- technology-wise, it seems like, you know, thousands of years ago. I mean, it really oh, was yeah. very, yeah. very different than it is now, and, it, and it's very fascinating because it wasn't that long ago. Did you have difficulty uh, recreating? Because to me, 1999 doesn't seem that long ago but it's 15 years and you know your cars are going to be different uh you know you might have more pay phones around still then was it difficult to recreate that or are things pretty much still the same in some parts of detroit and you know you didn't really have to worry about finding you know uh i guess not vintage cars but cars of the period um fortunately a lot of the movie took place at night okay Oh. So it really and it took place in the ghetto and various parts so okay uh it, we, we didn't have to focus too much on pay phones. We tried as much as we could with the budget we have to not have older cars in it. I'm sure there are some mistakes, but if you watch any movie, I mean, I was watching the movie Notorious, which is a multi-million dollar studio project. Yeah. I mean, they're driving around in a 2000 Suburban when it's actually, huh. you know, supposed to be 1994. Okay. So... Being, and I'm also a car guy, so I was pretty meticulous about it. Like, I know there's a shot or two, but for the most part, we definitely tried to line up cars that were uh, and shoot scenes where there were older cars, or at least if the car was off by two or two years or something, oh, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be noticeable. You yeah. Know? yeah, I noticed, uh, I used to watch uh, the show uh, Crime Story was made back in 1985 and 86, and it took place in 1963 Chicago. And uh, I would watch that back then and go, wow, how do they find parts of Chicago that still look like it's 1963? And the rest, well, actually, it isn't really, I mean, it is 20 years ago, but it's really, it's surprising how little things change in that amount of time. 
Yeah, it really is. Like it's it's you know technology wise with the way the kids have phones this and that. I mean, we we just had you know one of the kids has a pager in the movie. Ah. Um, you know, CDs are still popular. Some kids have tape decks, just like little stuff like that. But we were kind of meticulous about to to make it look like it was back then. You know. Yeah. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, it's not changed all that much, but at the same time, it has. It's, a, it's an interesting sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, stand up wise, uh, how are things going uh, at, on that avenue? Because I know you were pretty much working through the whole thing, just taking the break really to uh, film and then taking a break, I guess, to edit and stuff. Uh. No, I've, I mean, I've been keeping straight on as a stand up the whole time. I, I, I rarely take a break. Um, I basically. Them on the road, you know, every single weekend or off, and and my wife and I have uh, a baby on the way, actually. So uh. I'm going to, uh, you know, I might be taking, you know, shorter weekends sometimes, but other than that, uh, no, I haven't slowed down stand up at all. So are you still based in uh, Michigan, or are you back in Los Angeles, or where where are you working out of now? Um, I split time between L.A. Uh, I have a place that I'm sublet, subletting right now in L.A., but right now I'm basing out of Michigan uh, just because that's where I filmed everything and that's kind yeah. of where my house is. But, I mean, I've gone back to L.A. for, you know, I go back and forth all the time, so I just sort of divide my time between the two places. Um, and, again, for the benefit of the podcast listener, uh, when you when you were a kid, were you the funny guy in the crew and uh, and, a, and a comedy fan, or how did your interest in comedy develop? Um, it's interesting. Uh, well, yeah, I was always sort of the class clown. I, I ended up, uh, yeah, I mean, I was always in trouble and always cracking jokes. And, yeah, I was definitely the guy in the group that was always funny. Um, but I, I kind of did, I, I always enjoyed stand-up. I didn't think I could do it. I kind of really wanted to go into film and sort of like Saturday Night Live sketch sort of thing. That's why I joined the Second City was because it was live theater sketch comedy. Oh, okay. And uh, while I was there, uh, I was doing, I was writing, and a, a friend of mine named Martin and my now wife, uh, who I met there, both thought I was really funny and I should give stand-up a try. And I always liked it and always had an interest in it, but I honestly didn't know if I could ever do it. And uh, I gave it a try, and uh, I loved it from the moment I set foot on stage, and I've been doing it ever since. Now, where did you do Second City? Because I know for a while they had a thing where they actually tried going to a lot of other cities apart from Toronto and Chicago. I think Cleveland had a, a Second City for a little bit. Did Detroit have one, too? Cleveland did have one. Yeah. Yes, Cleveland did have one. Uh, yeah, Detroit had one that was opened by uh, John Candy in 1993. Oh, okay. And it lasted until 2003. Oh, okay. Well, that's and cool. it, it, actually, uh, it actually produced some really good talent. I mean, from Jerry Minor to Keegan-Michael Key, who's on Key and Peel now, uh, to Larry Joe Campbell from According to Jim. Like, a lot of really good, uh, really good comedic actors came out of Detroit. That's cool. And then, uh, so, I know uh, I, I first saw you, uh, I believe it was on Last Comic Standing way back in the day, one of the first uh, uh, incarnations of that, of that show. Um, and uh, I, I always uh, to tell you this, my, you know, you always identify jokes with certain comedians, and uh, for the podcast listeners' benefit, uh, the joke I always remember of yours is the uh, the orange juice joke, <laughs> as I like to call it. Yes. Where uh, Thank you, you you explain the uh, 
when people say on uh, like places like Fox News that you know, oh, you know, gasoline isn't expensive as orange juice, you know, it's it's much more palatable. And of course, your response to that is you don't need to buy uh, a, a gallon of orange juice every three days, or a, a twenty gallons yeah, of orange every three every days. Every four yeah. days, <laughs> yeah, I don't have to buy twenty gallons of orange juice. <laughs> and uh, so, yep. um, what kind of things talking about on stage these days? Uh, these days, now I uh, let's see. Um, well. Pretty much how I'm about to have a family, uh, my marriage, uh, just life in general. I mean, just the things that pertain to me, stories of my past, various uh, arrest stories, um, just various things that uh, that I've experienced uh, is kind of what I'm talking about now. Just sort of, I'm more, I'm, I'm finding that my voice is more and more just me being myself. Yeah, a lot of uh, guys and gals move in that kind of direction as they, because you get that experience behind you, and that kind of just makes sense. Whereas when you're young, you know, you don't really know anything. No, and you have no life experience, so yeah. really all you can do is kind of write off of something you read in the paper, or you know, it's you don't really know how to talk to you about yourself because you don't know who you are yet. Yeah, you know, especially because I started at 21 and I was just, I had no idea you know, really anything about me. All I knew is I liked to drink and at that time yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had a girlfriend and that was about it. You yeah. know, there wasn't much to say. So I did a lot of newspaper jokes, you know, what I read. And with that life experience behind you, I guess that also has some practical applications in your own life because, you know, starting a family now, I guess it would would be a little less apprehensive, I think, or, or not. Is because it's, a, you know, it is kind of a, a sense of, it's a life change. Is there apprehension there? Um, or anxiety, no, maybe it's a better uh, there, there was for a long time because we didn't really know where I could find the time to go on the road, be a father, do all that kind of stuff. And uh, I just, my wife and I hit an age where, you know, it was sort of we had to have, we had to do or die sort of a thing. You yeah. know, like either have the kid or don't. And we decided, you know, let's just try for a family. It's not, we're not going to get any younger. And, you know, it's it's worth it and, and finally I'm at a place in my career where I I feel stable and uh, she does too in hers so and what does she do uh, she manages a medical supply company oh, okay so it's a, that's a good, good so steady gig it never hurts to be in the healthcare community. I was just going to say that's really that's probably the most stable things you can you could be in and yeah, more so yeah. the way the uh, the demographic of the country is moving well that's cool and uh yes. And so, um, so I guess you're looking forward to being uh, a father then? Or you, is it, is, uh, you think it'll be a wealth of material? or? Uh... I would assume. Um, I've already got quite a few jokes just off of, you know, the pregnancy so far. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I definitely think uh, I definitely think that it'll be a new thing. Because I find whenever I, whenever something happens in my life that I start talking about on stage, it feels like I have new fans for whatever reason like oh, if I yeah. got married for example you know like all of a sudden all these married people you know started to like my show on top of the people who already did you know now that I'm talking about having a kid other people are, are finding you know I'm finding a new audience every time I sort of uh, evolve or change or grow yeah and uh, yeah it's it's fun, funny you'll find out of course you know and you probably know this by now with the, the life experience behind you is that you know things have a way of working out you know yeah, yeah, every yeah, everything's everything seems to be working out right now. So, so I'm curious, how did you land the uh, the New Year's Eve gig uh, down here in Cincinnati? Was that just put through through uh, a booker, or were you just kind of you know 
actively looking for New Year's Eve work and, and it just came together that way? Or how does, I'm just curious how a, a guy from Detroit ends up doing New Year's Eve in Cincinnati. Um, through, uh, through a booker, and the last time I was in Cincinnati, uh, the crowds really liked me, so they thought they'd have me back for a bigger night. Oh, and I really, really liked the crowds there a lot, so I, I was happy to accept that gig. And it's such a, it's such a great club, and it's such a cool city that I'm really looking forward to, to doing it. But yeah, I just sort of, I, I lucked into it. They liked what I did last time. I really liked the club, so we figured, let's do this week. Cool. Yeah, it's a good area of town uh, for a New Year's Eve. That whole complex with it's, it's a big uh, for folks outside of the area, as most people are for the podcast. Uh, we have a little area across the river in Cincinnati called uh, New Town called Newport, and right on the river, they uh, built this huge entertainment complex, which is mostly restaurants and bars with the comedy club there at the Funny Bone. And uh, but it is a really good time. A lot of people have, and it's not crazy, it's not dangerous, and uh, it's just a good place to go to have to have fun. Yeah, I think that's what people need is something that's not, you know, dangerous or way too overcrowded. And yeah. that's what's nice about a, a comedy show. It's a cool way to bring in the New Year's. I, I've done it the last, you know, nine years, various New Year's shows. Uh, They're always a good time. Where else have you done it? I'm curious. Like, what other towns? Oh, God. Uh, let's see. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I'm trying to think what city in Florida I just did. I think it was maybe Fort, Fort Myers, Florida I've done. Uh, I've done last year. I did Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, or Cleveland. oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, funny stop. Yeah, yeah. I did the funny stop. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. Last, uh, okay. uh, maybe a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, I've done the Marcus Comedy Castle in Detroit, obviously. Oh Chapel yeah, there you Detroit. go. Um, Famous room. Yeah, all all those places. But yeah, Cleveland and uh, Cleveland, Detroit, and and there's just something kind of been including Cincinnati, like all about. I guess our area, I would say, of the country that I really enjoy those shows, and I, I always call it intelligent blue collar. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, I would, I would say we were like that. Certainly. Yeah, that's yeah. a real good way to put it. Are they are those New Year's shows like pretty similar, no matter what town you're in, or is it, or is every town kind of slightly different? Depends on where you're at. I mean, sometimes it can be crazier than others. Like if you're. Um, Really, really south, I guess, um, can be like like when I was in Florida. It's a little bit of a different atmosphere, but uh, otherwise, no. People are kind of people anywhere you go. I find you know, and then people like to have a good time, and I like to give them, you know a good show. So it all seems to work out. Cool. Well, great, man. Uh, well, this will be, of course, in City Beat, a uh, big feature, 750 word feature for you there uh, ahead of the New Year's Eve show. And then uh, we'll we'll have folks looking for the movie The King. You're, you're trying to get into festivals, you said uh, at this point. Right now, yeah, it's going into some festivals. Um, I can't say which ones it's in yet. Sure. Announcing, but it's in a couple. And uh, after that, we're gonna kind of do a, a release of it. But I I just want to try to get it as much, you know, heat and backing and as yeah. humanly possible. Cool, cool. We'll look for that. Uh, and a lot of the, the film buffs in the audience, of course, will uh, will know to look for that as well. And uh, we'll have fun when you're down here at New Year's Eve. And uh, and good luck with the film and everything and with the, and with the upcoming family. Cool. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. All that. right, Dave. Good talking to you again. Good talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye. Okay. Bye.
thanks again to Dave Landau for being on the show. I can't wait to see The King. It sounds like it's right up my street. Hopefully we'll all get to see it very soon. In the meantime, you can catch Dave Landau. He's doing some one-offs uh, the week of January 13th. Uh, for instance, January 15th, he's in Lake Orion, Michigan. January 16th in K-Pak, Michigan. And on January 17th, he is at Brouhaha. Uh, we had one of those here in Cincinnati. It's a comedy festival. I don't think it's the same thing, though, in Saginaw there. Uh, that is uh, January 17th. For all of Dave Landau's tour days, you can go to DaveLandau.com and find out everything else you need to know about Dave Landau. Okay, so uh, the usual credits, of course. Uh, original music composed and performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. PFT Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble. Like the podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. The episode guide is up. So if you're listening to this any other way than uh, via... Uh, pfradio.podbean.com go to that website and at, at each show notes ends with the email address and a link to the uh, google doc that is the episode guide and then you can just scroll through that and see who's been on you can control f to, and type in a name and see if that person has been on the podcast 182 episodes uh, likely you'll find somebody that you enjoy listening to as well okay so that is going uh, to do it for this week other than to say so long and thanks for listening